Well, hey, like she said, my name is Amanda Price. You might know me by some other names. I do go by A-Train, AP, Superfruit, Mana. But uh, I think some of you might recognize me actually as Nacho Libre. I have a slide. I did show up to our ministry partners, um, uh, volunteer, sorry, not volunteer, ministry partners dinner as Nacho Libre. The student leaders and I thought it'd be really fun to come in costume, and it was fantastic. It was really fun. Well, anyways, if you don't know me, that's okay. I literally just moved here like two and a half months ago from Kansas City, Missouri. Um, yeah, that's right. And um, I have been blessed to serve on our worship team with Lucas Hampton and Emily Hoagland, and then in our student ministry with Matt Bowman, and shout out to all my students over there, they're awesome. But I am honored and humbled to be before you this morning. I am excited to share what the Lord has put on my heart and what he's done in my life. Um, I take the word of God very seriously, and I take loving the church very seriously. And so this is, in preparation, this is a responsibility I have taken very, very strongly. But I'd like to pray for us, because my desire today is that the Lord speak through me, and it's not me, but you see the Lord. So, Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity to praise with my brothers and sisters. I pray, Lord, you draw us closer to you. Let the power of the gospel touch our hearts. Let my lips sing of your goodness, freedom, and transformative power. And let your Holy Spirit move and change us. And I pray this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Okay, so I allegedly was the one who started this series, Gospel Fluency. And the reason is, when I first moved here and before I started serving on the worship team and in the student ministry, I asked Lucas and Matt, can you tell me the gospel? Now, I did not ask this question as a gotcha question or a question to stump them. I asked this for two main reasons. The first is I believe all Christians, not just pastors, all Christians should have the gospel on our lips at all times. In 1 Peter 3.15 it says, at any moment we should be able to give a defense of the hope that is within us, that hope being Jesus Christ. The second reason I asked is because when I serve with and under somebody else's leadership, I wanna make sure that we align on what the one true gospel is, the what of the gospel, the why of the gospel, and how it transforms our life. And the gospel is this. Jesus Christ, the only son of God, was born of a virgin. He lived a perfect, sinless life. And through his life, death, resurrection and ascension, he has made the way to God our Father. <laughs> Thank you, yes, amen. So the what of the gospel is that Jesus, only son of God, has the power over sin and death. He raised from the dead. He is the power of the blood of the lamb. The why of the gospel is because God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that all who believed in him might not perish but have eternal life, John 3, 16. So, gospel fluency. We have been referencing another verse. It's verse um, in Revelation 12, verse 11, 
which says, and they have conquered him, him being Satan, by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. So today I'd like to specifically look at what a testimony is. Now testimony in the English dictionary is defined as a couple of things. The first is a written, a formally written statement um, in a court of law. And it's also a public recounting of an event or a conversion. But when we look at Revelation 12 verse 11 in the original language, in the Greek, it is maturia. Say it after me, maturia. Thank you. Maturia means witness or evidence. So our working definition of a testimony is telling of a story or event that is a witness or evidence of God at work in your life. So the telling, the verb, the action, telling of a story or event that is a witness or evidence of God at work in your life. In Christian circles, we talk about testimony in two ways. The first is our conversion story. So our life prior to Christ, Christ's intervention and transformation of our lives and our repentance of sin and then our life in and with Christ. And then the second way we talk about it is the continuation of God at work in our life. So something like, oh, I read this really cool passage of scripture and it opened my eyes to a new facet of God's character. Or maybe something like, I prayed for somebody and Jesus healed them. Or for me, God's teaching me about thinking critically, but not having a critical spirit. But ultimately, <clears throat> we share our testimonies. It says in the word to do that. So why do we do that? It's to glorify the Lord. It's to magnify who he is and his character. But we also share a testimony because it encourages one another. It stirs up our faith and emboldens other people. A couple weeks ago, we heard from Benita. I see you. Were you not encouraged by her testimony of how she was wrongfully imprisoned and walked faithfully with the Lord through that time? I was so encouraged by that. I actually asked her twice if I could share that again. I was so encouraged by that. Thank you for sharing. So our testimonies encourage one another. Our testimonies also invite the Holy Spirit to touch someone else. Anybody been talking to a brother or sister in Christ or heard a, a podcast or a sermon and they're talking about how the Lord convicted them of something or changed something in their, your life and they're like, wait a second, Lord, are you telling me I need to do that too? Are you convicting me now? Is anybody, does that happen to anybody? Yeah, <laughs> happens to me a lot. <laughs> but anyway, the Holy Spirit touches other people. And finally, through our testimony, the Holy Spirit can draw people close and there's the potential to lead somebody else to Christ. A couple weeks ago, our friend Shapur, the Iranian pastor, he came and shared his testimony, his conversion story, and two people came to Christ that day. Yeah, amen. So we share our testimony because it glorifies the Lord, encourages other, it invites the Holy Spirit to touch somebody else's life, and there's a possibility of leading someone to Jesus. Okay, we're gonna circle back around to the two ways that we talk about um, testimony. So our conversion story, we'll start there. So your life pre-Jesus, 
Christ's intervention in your life, transformation, your repentance of sin and that old life, and then your life in and with Jesus. Um, let's look at the, one of the most powerful conversion stories in scripture. We're gonna turn or scroll to Acts 9, please. Acts 9, and we're gonna look at a guy named Saul. He's also Paul, same guy. I'm gonna set the scene just a little bit. So Saul was a pretty big character in Acts and then the rest of the New Testament, and he was considered a Pharisee of Pharisees. And a Pharisee was a Jewish sect that observed very strictly the traditions and written law of the Old Testament. In Acts 7, we get a glimpse of him when Stephen, the first martyr of Christianity, was stoned to death. But it says that Saul cast his vote against Stephen. And then we get a glimpse of Saul in chapter 8, where it says, he led a great persecution against the followers of Jesus Christ, where he was making havoc of the church, um, entering every house, dragging off men and women, committing them to prison, and breathing threats and murder against the disciples of Jesus. So it's not really a great opener for Saul. Like he's, he's a pretty big villain against the Jesus followers of this time, right? So he has orders from the chief priests to go to the city of Damascus. And he's supposed to bring them forth, go get the Christians, imprison them, and bring them back to the chief priests, probably to kill them. But Acts 9, verse 3 Now, as Saul went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. So I'm gonna summarize the next couple of verses. So Saul is blind. He was previously not blind, and now he's blinded by this bright light by Jesus. His companions take him into the city of Damascus. Now, there's a guy in Damascus. His name is Ananias. Ananias is a Jesus follower. Ananias gets a vision from the Lord, and this vision showed that Saul would be a mighty instrument to carry Jesus' name to the Gentile cities. So, Ananias goes to the city, lays hands on Paul, something like scales fall off of his eyes, and now Saul can see again. And immediately he's baptized. And then in verse 20, immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying, he is the son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? Has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased in all the more strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Saul's conversion moved people. I mean, it might've been really confusing, but it moved people. And the people around him knew that he was a murderer and imprisoner of Christians. But there was a light switch. Jesus intervened in a very dramatic way. The power of the blood of the lamb, remember the gospel, the power of the blood of the lamb freed Paul from religiosity, delivered him and changed his heart from an imprisoner and murderer of Christians to now proclaiming the very name he was murdering people for. And we know from other parts of the New Testament that Paul goes and shares his testimony and the gospel 
specifically to other Gentile cities, and those people become followers of Christ. And you might be thinking like, Amanda, you know, that was a really cool story, very dramatic, but that was written a long time ago. That's not really applicable to me. I think that's not true. We all have a conversion story, or could, if you don't know Jesus. We all have a life pre-Christ, Christ's intervention and our life in and with Christ. Well, I'd like to share just a little bit of my testimony, my conversion story. I grew up in a really wonderful family in Kansas City, Missouri. I'm the oldest of three girls and my parents are celebrating their 33rd anniversary in August, which is very exciting. Um, I grew up Catholic. I grew up going to mass every Sunday. And I grew up going to Catholic school from kindergarten through eighth grade. And so I grew up hearing a lot of the stories about the Bible, you know, highlights, creation, Noah's Ark, Moses in the Red Sea, uh, Jesus walking on water and feeding thousands of people with just a couple of loaves of bread and some fish. But it didn't really mean anything to me. They were just cool stories. And the Bible was just like good morals and principles to live by. But <clears throat> I always knew there was this underlying sense of more. There was more to doing things than what the Bible said to do. There were more, there was more than the prayers that we read on a piece of paper. And I knew that this couldn't be it. So I did what children do, I asked questions. And I asked a lot of questions. <laughs> and none of my questions were really being answered, even by the nuns and the priests of that time. But here's the thing. I don't know if they didn't have the answers or if my ears weren't open. I don't know. But the same time I was asking questions, I was also in middle school. And middle school was a very awkward time for me. I was very awkward and very weird, awkward, very awkward. I was bullied, I was made fun of, I was ostracized and gossiped about. And my peers, the ones that were bullying me, said that they believed in God, said that they believed in the principles of the Bible, like love, joy, peace, righteousness, not gossiping, et cetera, et cetera. But then they would turn around and call me names make fun of me, blah, blah, blah. So this, my unanswered questions and the bullying just added fuel to the fire. It caused a lot of frustration, which then led to bitterness, which then led to a lot of anger. Finally, one day I laid it out to my mom and said, mom, I'm not going to church anymore and I don't believe in God. And she was like, psh, psh, not today, Satan. <laughs> I'm just kidding. My mom has never said that to my knowledge and she would be absolutely mortified if she heard me say that. So sorry, mom, I know you're watching. <laughs> well, anyway, what she did say, she said, Amanda, I think you do believe in God. It's obvious by the questions that you're asking. But I think that religion and people have clouded who he is. And we don't have to go to mass anymore, but you, are now responsible for finding our family a church. So we did. 
We had like a year long time of church going and church hopping and eventually landed at a vineyard church. And I loved it and I loved it for two reasons. The first reason was I had never experienced worship, musical worship in that way. Observing the worship pastor leading other people into a space of such abandonment and praise to God our Father. It was so moving. The second reason we stayed is because we got to have cappuccino in church. And to a Catholic girl like me, that was pretty sweet. (laughs) Well, anyways, so we've landed at a vineyard church. This whole time, though... um, I've also transferred to a public high school. Now this was really important because I met two very influential people. The first person I met, her name was Kaylin. And Kaylin and I, we hit it off real fast, became really fast friends. Unbeknownst to me, Kaylin was a Christian. Her dad was a pastor. And so as Kaylin and I were building a relationship, her family was praying for me her family were were answering the questions that were previously unanswered. So that was the first one, Kaylin. The second gal that I met, her name was Grace. Now Grace was heavily involved in Young Life. Anybody know what Young Life is? Sweet. So Young Life is a ministry for high school students and it's all across the globe. But Grace was heavily involved in Young Life. So she would invite me And I just went because I got to hang out with my friends on a school night. Like, I thought that was pretty cool. But slowly but surely, the Lord was softening my heart and drawing me to him. Well, the summer between my freshman and sophomore year, I gave my life to the Lord. Yeah. (laughs) I repented of the anger and the bitterness and um, frustration that I felt and was able to forgive the people who deeply hurt me. And I was able to walk in and with Jesus Christ. So I went back to that same vineyard church and I met the Snow family. And Ryan and Carla have been discipling me and Emily Hoagland who led worship. They've discipled us for 15 years. And it was really amazing, it was very sweet how we talk about seeing um, we do what the Father does. And I see what Ryan and Carla are doing here in creating a culture of Jesus, everything believers. And it's amazing that I'm up here giving a sermon for the first time. (laughs) It's pretty sweet. (laughs) Yeah, thank you. (laughs) But it's not really about me. So back when I was a student, like I said, they were building a culture of Jesus, everything believers. So I started to learn how to play chords and led worship in youth group. I started leaning into the Bible and leaning into the Holy Spirit. I was praying for people, receiving words of knowledge for people. But there you go. There is the telling that gives witness and evidence of God at work in my conversion story. So my pre-life or my pre-Jesus life was very angry, very frustrated. My life with Jesus washed me of that anger and frustration. Okay, I gotta get to my notes here. All right, so that's the first way, our conversion story. The second way that we talk about testimony is the continuation of God's work in our lives. So let's again look to scripture. Please turn or scroll to Luke chapter eight. Luke chapter eight. And before we read Luke chapter eight, verse 38 and 39, I'm gonna set the scene just a little bit. 
So Jesus was in Galilee, and then he gets on a boat and goes to the land of the Gerasenes. When, immediately when Jesus steps off the boat, there's a man that approaches him, and he is naked and living in the caves. He is demon-possessed, okay? So when Jesus comes on the scene, he encounters this man who is demon-possessed, and he asks the name, what is your name? The demon replied, Legion. Now, Legion is not actually a name. Legion means many. And if we're talking in military terms, Legion is 6,000 men. So from the context, we're to understand that there were many, if not 6,000 demons in this man. That's a lot of demons. <laughs> well, anyways, so when Jesus comes on the scene, he frees this man of demons. He sends the demons into a herd of pigs that's close by. Those pigs run violently off of a cliff into the lake and then drown. And all the people that were around to witness this, they were deeply afraid. And they actually asked Jesus to leave. So as Jesus is getting ready to leave, um, we see in Luke 8, verse 38, the man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. Let's be really, really clear here. Jesus is not rejecting this man. He's not saying, no, you can't come with me because I don't like you. No, you can't come with me because I despise you. No, that's not what he's saying at all. Jesus knows that this man, this man's testimony, the evidence of God at work in this man's life would be a mighty testimony, a mighty witness to the people, to his family, to his town. And so Jesus sends him to the town to prove that Jesus is the Christ. And so the man did just that. He went home. He proclaimed all that Jesus had done for him. Are you proclaiming what Jesus has done in your life? It might not be that dramatic as many demons coming out of you, but are you proclaiming the transformative power of the gospel? I like to proclaim what Jesus has done in my life. I had been a Christian for about eight years. Um, I went to college for music and biblical studies, and then the Lord called me to move to New York City. Now, New York City was really sweet living there in my mid-20s but it's also a really challenging place to live. It is our nation's statistical leader in population and population density. So what that means, lots of people, very small space. People are literally living like on top of each other. But it just means that you're constantly overlooked, constantly nameless and faceless. People are more concerned about going from point A to point B and it's, it's really challenging to forge relationships. It's hard as an adult anyway, but it's even harder when people are more concerned about doing and staying busy than they are about building relationships. I didn't know it or have language for it at the time, but I started experiencing loneliness and depression. I attributed my feelings to massive stress. And so what I would do is I would find ways to de-stress. One of the ways that I found was to go home and have a glass of wine. No big deal. Well, one glass of wine turned into two. And then two wasn't cutting it, so I had three. And I think you know where this story is going. 
But uh, fast forward four years, I've lived in three different cities. I've completed a master's degree. My loneliness and depression is still within me. And the de-stressing habit that I formed in New York has now morphed into a full-blown alcohol addiction. I mean, I was literally the poster child for high-functioning alcoholics. I drank by myself. I had an increased tolerance. I would wake up in the morning and drink and not stop until I went to bed at night. I would plan my entire day around drinking alcohol, and I couldn't stop. Even when I wanted to stop, I couldn't stop. And I was so ashamed that I had this problem. I didn't want anybody to know. And so I would do anything and everything to hide, to hide this addiction. And the shame just caused more loneliness and more depression, which led to drinking more alcohol. My addiction was running and ruining my life. Keep in mind, I still believed in Jesus. I still read my Bible. I still prayed. I still went to church. I had an incredible church community. But I was not willing for Jesus to touch this part of my life. I was not letting the gospel transform my life. I stiff-armed Jesus every time he invited me to come to him. I rejected the Holy Spirit every time he asked me and convicted me to repent of drunkenness. My heart was hardened to the Lord. One weekend, the Lord shook me. There was an incident at work on a Friday. I was working remote and I had been drinking all day. I fell asleep on my lunch break and slept through a meeting. And I thought for sure I was gonna get fired. And so I panicked, called my boss, and my boss said, we'll talk about it on Monday. More panic set in. You know that like, like panic cycle that you get sometimes in your brain where like, oh my gosh, it's just layer upon layer? That's what happened to me. I was gonna lose my job, I was gonna lose my boyfriend at the time, I was gonna lose my friends, my family, my church, and oh my gosh, it just keeps going. But in the midst of all that panic, I heard Jesus firmly but gently say my name. And he said, Amanda, come to me. Amanda, come to me. Give me your burdens. Give me your addiction. Give me your loneliness and depression. Come to me. Taste my goodness. Taste the freedom that I have for you. The rest of that weekend was my regretful acknowledgement of how I abused alcohol, how I wasted time, how I had important conversations with people that I can't remember because I was too drunk. It was my regretful acknowledgement of how I dishonored the Lord by living in a drunken stupor for four years. And I repented and the power of the gospel, the power of the blood of the lamb, the power of Jesus Christ saved me from drowning and freed me from an addiction to alcohol. And I haven't had a drink of alcohol since. (laughs) 
What's amazing is the power of the gospel didn't stop there. Do you remember that shame and secrecy that I was still holding on to? The Lord delivered me from that too. He gave me the boldness to tell my parents, my two best friends, my boyfriend at the time, and another couple that was discipling me. And it was terrifying. But I knew that the Lord was with me. And he talked to me about when you live in darkness and you finally come to Jesus, everything that's in darkness has to come to light. And it was amazing, amazing how they displayed the love of Jesus to me. They prayed for me. They fasted for me. They prayed scripture over me. They went to AA meetings with me. They went to celebrate recovery meetings with me. They fought with me and for me in the spiritual, physical, emotional battle that was going on. And they loved me through all of it. Well, guess what? The power of the gospel didn't stop there. You see, I was eating and drinking myself to death. I'm kind of like, a little teapot, short and stout. Um, the Lord talked to me about how being a carrier, being a carrier of the Holy Spirit is important. And how do I honor him with my body? And so I can't do much about the shortness, but I can do something about the stoutness. And so I started eating healthier and exercising more and I've lost a lot of weight. And again, it's not about the number on a scale. It's about honoring the Lord with my body. Thank you. <laughs> Another example, I was white knuckling a relationship for a decade. I was not willing to let this relationship and our future together go. The gospel, the power of the blood of the lamb, Jesus came alongside me. He gently put his hand over mine and he loosened my grip and he talked to me about how I had made this man and our future together, an idol. And so he didn't pry or peel open my hand, but he did gently loosen it until it was open. And we did end up breaking up, but that didn't matter because I didn't have that death grip over that relationship anymore. Jesus, Jesus <laughs> came and take it, took it away because it was unto his glory, which actually brought me here. And you know what? The gospel didn't stop there. It continued and still continues to change how I think, how I speak, how I act, how I interact, how I pray, how I praise, how I read the word and the heart posture behind all of those things. The gospel, Jesus doesn't stop working in our lives. The power that breaks sin and death doesn't stop. And listen, y'all, Florence, y'all, I am not all that in a bag of chips. I'm, I'm really not. I'm a broken and sinful woman, but a broken and sinful woman who is loved by a king who frees people and delivers people and heals people and changes people and transforms lives. So that kind of brings us full circle to the second way that we use testimony, the telling and proclaiming of the continuation of God at work in our life. And I feel like I went really fast, so apologies, but 
As we conclude today's message, I wanna do what I see Jesus doing. And what I see Jesus doing is giving people high invitation and high challenge to follow him. But I'm gonna start with the challenge first. Our challenge today, similarly to how I challenged Matt and Lucas with can you tell me the gospel, your challenge, can you tell me the gospel through your testimony and share it? Can you tell me of a time where God has changed something in your life, changed your mind, changed how you read scripture, healed you from something? And are you telling people about that? It doesn't have to be fancy, and I would highly encourage you not to play the comparison game where so-and-so's testimony is super cool and it's not as cool as mine. No, no, no. Sharing your testimony is to glorify the Lord. You never know, you never know what you say because of the Lord, what, what he's doing in you, how it will impact somebody else. You never know. Share your testimony. So, can you tell me the gospel in your testimony? The second, um, the invitation, the invitation is very simple today, but the invitation is come to Jesus. Where in your life do you need the gospel to touch? Where do you need Jesus? Are you like me, angry and bitter and frustrated and without purpose? Are you asking the more questions? Come to Jesus. Or maybe you're like me and there's a habit that has started or maybe you've been struggling with something for a really long time. Come to Jesus. Are you white knuckling something, a relationship, a situation?